All right, teaching others also, 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 4. This is uh, session 22, 1 Peter chapter 4, and we're going to look at verses 14 down to the end of the chapter, Lord willing. 1 Peter chapter 4. As always, we trust you'll pick up the context in uh, previous sessions. We've done 21 of them, so if we try to review them all here, that's all we'd be spending our time doing is reviewing. And so we're trusting that you, uh, studying your Bible as a student of the Bible, will, you know, apply yourself to that, go back, whatever. It might be that uh, someone notices that this is the passage, verses 14 to 19 of chapter 4, and that's what you're looking for. All right, so let's pick it up in verse 14. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. Now, the Bible as life because the Bible is the book of life. There is no book on the face of the earth. There's no set of writings that can compare to the practical application of the Bible to daily life. And the Bible is full of doctrine. It is the chosen history that God has given us. If uh, you couldn't begin to imagine if God had us had someone write or multiple, multiple hundreds write together to put up the whole history of the last 6,000 years. And if you try to look backward before that in the workings of God, etc., you, you'd never, ever get it. So he chose. See, we, we have a chosen thing. You know, in school they talk about cliff notes and all that kind of things trying to avoid having to read the whole material, okay? And sometimes it's really good to have a summary. And this is what you have in your Bible, even though it's quite a big book if you think about it. Now, I've got a copy that I carry around that's, you know, it's not even, probably not even a full one inch thick, but I can read it easily and mark, I've got it all marked up and everything. Uh, Going through quite a few different copies of my King James Bible. And I'm saying all that to say that he says, if ye be reproached, life is full of, ifs. It's full of clauses. It's full of if this, then this. Okay? So, God in His great mercy, His grace, His loving kindness, His foresight, His understanding of mankind, He writes to us in that manner. And He instructs His men who write the Bible to write in that manner. So, He says, if ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. He does not say if you be reproached for your, for your behavior in the name of Christ. Sometimes uh, people have done things in the name of Christ. The manner in which they did it, the spirit in which they did it was ridiculous. Okay? That does happen. We just we need to guard against that. The use of this word, for example, in verse 14, happy, is a strong word. Someone says, well, it ought to be translated blessed. No, it's just how it ought to be. God gives us different words for different situations. You know, Paul said, when he was bound, he said, I think myself happy, O King Agrippa. Now, I know there's a little pun there. Someone says, when you're not happy, think yourself happy. (laughs) Okay, that's not exactly what Paul meant. However, if you think about what it is to be reproached for the name of Christ, It will make you be happy. It's not happy like the world. Listen, don't let the shallowness of the world take the words out of your Bible. Instead, put the Bible meaning of the word into your mind and heart. 
you're going to have to make a little effort at this. You know, nothing happens that's worthwhile without effort. Oswald Chambers would put it this way, all noble things are difficult. So we, we put the context of this word happy as we find it in the Bible, and we let it define it. There's, a, there's an experience for the child of God when we are properly reproached for the name of Christ. There's an experience that it doesn't compare to anything else. Watch what he says. For. All right, so he's going to give us some, some reasons, some definition. He's going to give us some uh, cause and effect. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the Spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. Does that mean everybody will understand? Well, it doesn't. Let's read the rest of the statement. On, you, on their part, he is evil spoken of. Who is? God. But on your part, he is glorified. Now, this is one of the great problems in modern Christianity in 2023. We're, about, we're, we're just, uh, just about finished with halfway through 2023, end of June here coming next couple days. And here we are. And there's something that has overtaken Christianity as a whole. Now, now, let me take you up to 30,000 feet and get a, you know, the big view. They call it a bird's eye view. In other words, that bird's way up there looking down. The big picture is that you do have people who are just, they are determined to suffer reproach. And they do things in such a manner, they're going to get reproached one way or another. And, and they think that is the kind of happy. Okay, no. But then there is a great majority of Christianity that doesn't comprehend that the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you while on their part he, God, in your sentence structure, in English, God is evil spoken of, but on your part he's glorified. That is a mindset that the child of God must have in order to continue to be victorious. You need this mindset. You need it. I'm serious. You need it. Because they're not going to glorify God. Listen, if the world and politicians, for example, if they go at each other publicly and hurt each other and then, then they go and do stuff together, we should not find that strange. That's, how they, that's like a, it's a business to them. It's almost entertainment to them. It's a show. But when it comes to something like the name of God and Christ, it's a spiritual battle. So they're not going to see you suffer for Christ, reproach you for Christ, and see you take it cheerfully, see you take it graciously, and necessarily turn around and glorify God. No. On their part, he is evil, spoken of. But on your part, He's glorified. Now, literally, this could be a series all on its own. In fact, for me, through the years, uh, coming, uh, coming up on 50 years of being saved, hard to believe sometimes, 50 years of being saved. Um, for me, this has been a lifetime study, not as in discovering it, but as in reminding myself. Because if I can understand how this thing works, for one thing, I'm not going to be shocked 
and surprised. And the reason it is, is because I'm not going to let the world decide if God is glorified. And if you're not careful, you can fall into this trap. Because there's a lot of preaching and teaching today. And, and basically what it's saying is, God is glorified if the people around you glorify Him. Now, there, there's a, a greater world, much greater than your sphere of influence. Okay, so for a moment, take away all this social media rubbish. Okay, now look, I'm not against it just because it's new or something, or I wouldn't know how, I don't know how to do it. So I do, I know how to use all that kind of technology. But here's the problem. People are wanting to believe that their sphere of influence and etc. is larger than it is. But it isn't. The, the thing today is someone says, I want to be an influencer, an influencer. You're not an influencer, you're entertainment, or, or you're helping somebody go down the wrong road. Because if what you're doing is, is influenced based on how many hits you get, how much people try to copy you and all that, that has nothing to do with God, now watch, and Him being glorified. God is glorified up in His presence and in the spirit world primarily. Do you understand that for 6,000 years, people's lives were lived in basic anonymity? Your sphere of influence might not have been 50 miles back in the foot walking and horse riding days. And yet your influence is, in, is seen in heaven. Abraham, there wasn't that many people knew about Abraham numerically. But sure, he sure was known in heaven and now he's known in his book. Our lives are lived in basic anonymity before God. Before the spirit world. Now see, for me, that brings more strength and empowerment. To know that if I'm, if I'm out doing something. It could be anything. I could be a chopping down trees, cutting down trees, digging a ditch, mowing, whatever. Could be crawled under a tractor trying to fix it. Whatever I'm doing, how I do it, and the spirit with which I do it, can glorify God because what's looking on is the whole world that's got more spirits in it than the whole population of the world, easily. And that's the realm in which God is glorified primarily. Now, if someone tastes of your testimony and you taste of someone else's testimony and you give God the glory and stuff, that is good. That's wonderful. But he's trying to, Simon Peter's trying to help us see that in our basic anonymity, in other words, we're anonymous to 99.99% of this world. And do you understand with things like social media and stuff, people are putting stuff on there to, to make everyone feel like, even themselves feel like, my life matters and it has meaning. People care what I eat for lunch. They don't. They really don't. You say, well, people care that watch the influencers. Then they have no life. I'm not kidding. I'm not putting anybody down. They have no life. You don't have a life if it matters what somebody had for lunch today. You don't have a life. You don't have a life if you need to know when somebody was uh, going to town to run their errands or their cat, you know, hung upside down on the couch and was playing with its tail or whatever. I'm just making stuff up, literally. You don't have a life. 
The life in Jesus Christ is so much more powerful and intensive and challenging. Let's, let's put this in further context with verse 16. It, yet, yet, if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. Why does he say that? Because of verse 15. Now watch. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. So, what he does is he takes a murderer, and a thief, and an evildoer. He says, so don't you go out there and do those things and then try to tag the name of Jesus onto it, the name of Christ. But he adds, <laughs> or as a busybody in other men's matters. Now, many of you won't understand what I'm going to refer to, but it is sort of a, a last 50 years joke or however many years, I don't know. Uh, but when I was a kid, my grandmother liked to turn on the TV when there was a show called Bewitched On. And uh, I don't really remember much of the story plots or nothing. I didn't get really watch much TV as a young fellow. I worked. But I do remember a character in there called Gladys Kravitz and peeking through the curtains and, and uh, hollering at her husband. I can't even remember his name right now. But hollering for him to come look and, and just a busybody. So he says, Paul, Peter says, don't suffer as a busybody in other man's matters. Well, how would you suffer as a busybody? Well, first of all, you become known as it, and then people get upset at you and all kind of stuff. And nowadays, nowadays, oh man, with, you know, politics and government and finances and all this rubbish, my word, don't we have a lot of people who are busybodies in other people's matters. And then, there are people within the church community, the church congregation, wherever you're at, that become known as that. That if you wanted to find out what's going on, or at least what people think is going on, you find the busy body. So in the context, he sandwiches verse 15 between 14 and 16. So he says, if you be reproached, verse 14, happier you. Why? The spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. The Holy Spirit of God will help you if you're reproached for the name of Christ. I will say this. There's many times that your reproach, someone's not going to come out and say, I'm reproaching you because you're a Christian. But they will because you are, even if they don't tell you you are. Okay? And I'm not talking about misbehavior here. But you will find that there are people, especially if God's dealing with them, especially if He's convicting them and drawing them to Christ, trying to, that when they taste of your life and stuff, well, 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 I can remember uh, several cases. One, for example, I can remember this fellow immediately, and I was conducting a seminar. It was a you know, secular business world seminar on personal leadership and productivity. And I got through the first, oh, we, we would do like an hour or so, take a break, hour or so, take a break, keep everybody's attention. And at the, at, between the second and third session, this fellow came up to me and he said, what is, what is it with you? Now, I had not quoted one verse of Scripture yet as far as directly. I would referred to stuff in Proverbs and things like that, but it was all about you know productivity, things God made. But he came up and here's what he said. He said, what are you? I said, what do you mean? You some kind of preacher or Bible 
basher, they call him, like a Bible thumper? I said, I don't know, maybe. But I said, that's not what I've been doing here. He goes, I know, but you haven't told one off-color joke or said one off-color word the whole first two hours. What's, what, what is the deal with you? And I laughed, and at first he got upset. I said, he said, what are you laughing about? I said, think about what you just said, that you're upset because I didn't tell something off-color or didn't use, you know, coarse language. And he kind of grinned. He goes, yeah, he goes, maybe it's uh, just my attitude about it. I said, yeah. I said, I haven't preached to you, have I? He goes, no. I said, I haven't put you in no hot seat, have I? He said, no. You know what it was? It was just the Lord dealing with him. He might have even, you know, he never would open up. He might have even been a Christian, a professing Christian, and, you know, might have been beat down by the world, you might say, or or watered down by the world, you know, and, and in his daily life, that stuff. Because, see, it's not, there's sometimes you're not trying to be different, holy, special, all that stuff. You're just walking and talking with the Lord. And it's not like there's this aura around you, you know, or this, you're walking along and people are just woo, leaning back because there's this power of God. It's not that. But there is a contrast. So he says in verse 15, let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief. If you get caught as a murderer, a thief, uh, an evildoer, please don't play the I'm a Christian card first. <laughs> please. Please don't do that. I know people that do some really wrong things and then they think they're going to play the Christian card. That's crazy. But also, don't become a busybody in other people's business. Okay? Busybody in their business. So after he gets that out of the way, verse 16, he says, Yet, if any man suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Now the world wants to shame you. Sometimes family want to shame you. Sometimes Christians will try to shame you. They will. Because maybe they're walking a really weak walk. Maybe they've, you know, given in to some stuff. And again, I'm talking about having the right spirit, the right attitude, but you still can't avoid it. He said, let him not be ashamed. Now the word ashamed is not just like, you know, you blush, you turn red, <coughs> that kind of thing. Ashamed is, is also not being disappointed. Okay? Not being, in your mind, let down. Why? But let him glorify God on this behalf. And so, we need to glorify the Lord. And one of the great ways to do it is put it in context what our Savior went through. And he was perfect. And I'll say this. I, I understand what people say when they say he was 100% man and 100% God. I don't agree with it from this standpoint. Don't, don't shut off the thing. I don't agree from it from this standpoint. He couldn't have been 100% man or he would have had sin inside him. And he was not conceived by a man and a woman. He was conceived by the Holy Ghost and a woman, Mary. And so she provided the body. But God provided the soul and spirit for the incarnate one, Jesus 
the Christ. Okay? Get that, will you? You say, well, if he wasn't, oh man, how could he? It says in Hebrews 4, he was tempted in all points, like as we are, yet without sin. Because he limited himself to a human body, he understands what we feel. Mark it down, Hebrews 4, 16 to 18. I believe it is. In Hebrews 4, he says, We have not a high priest which cannot be touched by the food of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. He can feel our infirmities. And now he stands, he's seated at the throne, and he makes intercession for us. He can turn to the Father and say, I know what that feels like. That temptation, that embarrassment, that disappointment. We're to glorify God on this behalf because in some tiny, small way, listen, 99.999999% of us will only truly suffer as a Christian in some small way compared to Christ and some of those who've gone on before us the last 2,000 years and those who stood for the Lord God, for Jehovah, for the 4,000 years of the Old Testament. And he's going to lead into a thought here that's very important in the day we live in here in 2023. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore let them that suffer according to the will of God, commit the keeping of their souls to Him in well-doing as unto a faithful Creator. So in verse 17, the idea is, how could God judge the wicked if He didn't judge the righteous? When He says it begin at the house of God, He's talking about God's people, not a building. Okay? And so, <coughs> what we do is, we realize that you and I should expect, get ready, that as a whole, Christianity, real Christians, Christianity is going to have some judgment of God on them. This is not us going through the tribulation or the great tribulation. It is just plain old judgment and suffering. If you would grab a copy of the Fox's Book of Martyrs, or if you get a chance to get at least read, you can, nowadays you can probably get a few pages of it online, digitally, uh, of Martyr's Mirror, you will understand that Christians can go through a, what you can, don't even want to think is possible. They can go through that without ever being anywhere near what's called the Tribulation, Great Tribulation, in the book of Revelation. So God is going to let Christians be judged. Here in the United States of America, one of my strong personal beliefs, I'm not saying it's doctrine, one of my personal beliefs is that much of what we're going through in the United States of America on a governmental type level from, you know, county to state to federal, I believe a lot of it is God is putting pressure and dealing with Christians about eternity, about how dug into this world they are, about how obsessed they are with money and comfort and productivity and investments and security and liberty. I really believe that God's people as a whole, that we are going to experience that judgment that he's talking about. It's not tribulation, great tribulation. Listen, it could be one-tenth of what they suffered in Mar uh, the Fox's Book of Martyrs, Martyr's Mirror, 
One-tenth of it. It could be one-tenth of it. And we're still going to find it very difficult. So he's got to start with us. And then he says, and if the righteous scarcely be saved. All right, so write it down. Write this down, okay? 1 Corinthians 3 says, at the judgment seat of Christ, you'll be saved yet so as by fire. In other words, by the skin of your teeth, we say sometimes. In other words, there are people that are going to get to heaven. They're going to get there. Whether you like it or not, they're getting there. Just like you're getting there. By the blood of Christ, by receiving Christ. But they haven't been faithful to Him. Faithfulness doesn't give you eternal security. Okay? There's going to be people there that weren't sure if they were going or not. <laughs> because assurance of salvation is an experience, not a doctrine. Eternal security is a doctrine. You are eternally secure once God puts you in Christ. Your level of assurance is connected to both believing eternal security and then living out what God has for your life. That's how you experience assurance of salvation. Now, there are some who are so doctrinally sound. And this is going to sound almost crazy, but it is the truth. They're so doctrinally sound that they are living like the devil and yet have assurances of their salvation because they grab the doctrine of eternal security and clinging to it like they're in the middle of the ocean uh, on a life ring. Why? Well, because they, they know their life doesn't match it. Okay? So, when we look at this, this is the thing he's saying. If the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and sinner appear? Wherefore, let them that suffer. So it's scarcely. I mean, you can get physically destroyed and be spiritually salvaged. That's what Paul told him to do, was to turn him over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh in 1 Corinthians 5 because of his sin he was bringing into the congregation. A sin that even the Gentiles said, what in the world is going on? And so, what we understand is, verse 14, if you reproach for Christ, happier you. Why? The spirit of glory and of God resteth on you. But on, on their part is evil spoken of. It's not going to change their minds in most, most cases. On your part is glorified. Now, do right. Don't suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer. Or as a busybody sticking your nose in everybody's business. But if you do suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed. Okay? Now, don't try to convince the people around you. Just glorify God on that behalf. Verse 17, the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel? We know what the end is. It's destruction. It's eternity in hell. And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and sinner appear? Verse 19. Wherefore, let them that suffer, according to the will of God, commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. Now, I haven't been through it and I'm standing on the other side, but here's what I have learned from Scripture and from witnesses who have suffered. Anything is bearable if our confidence is in the will of God. If we are in confidence of the will of God, you say, what does that commit mean like a martyr does? Listen, our, our God, he said in Matthew 23, is like a mother. He's like a father. 
commit, okay, the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful, look at capital C, creator. The creator is why we have had everything brought to us in salvation. It is why from the very beginning, God took one of his own created beings and in the most innocent of created beings, the lamb, and slew it and used it as a covering both for them physically and their, its blood. And he did that for 4,000 years. And then Jesus Christ, his only begotten son, came and he let them slay his son. He, he wasn't caught off guard. He didn't commit suicide. He laid down his life for us because he was the creator, capital C, and he took responsibility for the actions of his creation, even though his creation had an opportunity to eat of the tree of life and never, ever taste of the knowledge of good and evil. When we think on these things, and, and, and believer, listen, please, think on these things constantly. Listen, I can work on a tractor. I can pound nails. I can cut wood. I can dig a ditch. I can do all those things. I can, I can do uh, sales work and stuff and still have this in, my, in the front of my mind. You know why? Because that's how he made us as Christians. Let this stuff permeate your whole thought. It's going to get tough. 99.9% .9 sure it's going to get much, much tougher before it gets better or before we're called out of here. That's not doom and gloom. That's preparation. You know, when people risk their lives to help others, they call them nowadays first responders in a domestic sense, law enforcement, fire, EMS. I was listening to the testimony of a firefighter and I came away with this. Even as law enforcement must put their own lives in their fellow workers' hands, firefighters do especially. Soldiers have to do it especially. We put ours into Christ's hands, into God's hands. And we may never face what any of them faced in book, Fox and Book of Martyrs, but it is going to get tough. And God's going to use the difficulties to save some people. He's also going to, now listen, going to use the difficulties to wake some Christians up so that at the last hour of the day, as in Matthew, they can get in on the rewards because they woke up and became faithful to God and they awoke, as Paul tells them, wake up, wake up. It's a wake-up call. It is the mercy of God that brings that judgment so that we can have rewards in heaven. Lord bless you.